Hey, here is Natalia, and you're listening to another episode of my podcast. I talk a lot about the methodology of achieving native-like fluency. I explore it, I apply it, and I teach it. If you are not a native speaker, just like myself, stick around. Hopefully, you're going to learn something new and something useful that you can apply in your own practice routine. Today, I want to talk about the importance of listening skills and the fundamental knowledge that you need to possess and you need to understand to finally learn to hear native speakers better. And when I say hear them better, I mean hear and understand. Another important point that I want to make here on this podcast is that there is a big difference between hearing and understanding. What do I mean by that? Usually when people listen to a spontaneous conversation between two native speakers or when they listen to a TED talk that is too fast for them, for their level of English, or when they listen to a spontaneous live interview, or even when they listen to a prepared presentation, if the pace is not comfortable for them, if a speaker speaks too fast, if a speaker speaks with an unusual accent, if they're struggling with understanding what it is about in any way and for any reason, people usually feel very stressed, not because they don't hear, they feel stressed because they don't understand what's going on. And you might think to yourself, well, that's logical. This is what I always do in any conversation. I listen to a person and I need to understand what this person is saying so that I can reply, so that I can participate in that conversation. But when we learn a foreign language, we can't understand people immediately. And that's why we learn. We're learning to understand them. So we need to do some work to learn to understand them. Do not expect from yourself to immediately understand. People get upset and people get frustrated because they do not meet their own expectations. They expect too much from themselves. They expect to immediately understand. But think about it for a moment. Do you always understand people in your first language? Have you ever been in a situation where a person says something in the language that you speak from birth and you go like, huh, what do you mean? I don't understand what you're saying. That happens a lot, right? So why do we expect from ourselves to immediately understand everything in any given situation and in a language that we're only learning to understand? We are very okay with not understanding something in our first language because we can always ask for clarifications. However, for whatever reason, people do not allow this behavior when they speak a second language or when they listen to a conversation in a second language. There is this crazy expectation and the bar is incredibly high for some reason. People think that they have to immediately and instantaneously understand everything. In fact, what happens when we listen to a conversation in a foreign language... Um. Well, actually, a lot of cognitive processes are taking place, but the first process that happens is identification. When we listen to a flow of speech in a foreign language, first, our brain is sending us signals if we can or we cannot hear what's being said. 
Let me give you an example. Most listening comprehension problems can be boiled down to two situations. Scenario one, we don't understand the words that we don't know. When somebody says a phrasal verb, an idiom, or a number of words that we simply do not know, we have never heard them before, there is no chance for us to hear and understand those words. Never. Because it's new to us. It's new information. We can't even... uh, Often we can't even identify it. Scenario number two is when we don't understand the words that we know. We know them and we can recognize them easily in writing. We can recognize them in an email, in a book. We can write those words. We can spell them. However, when native speakers say those words in a sentence, suddenly we're lost and we don't have a clue what they're saying. But if somebody writes these words on a piece of paper for you, you will go like, oh, I know these words. The question is, why can't I hear them? First, we need to teach ourselves to identify new information. Let's imagine you're listening to a sentence where a person mentions the word reconstruction. And that's the word that you don't know. You've never heard it before. Practice repeating the words that you don't know. The words that you can't understand, but you can hear them. When you can hear them, that's already identification. You can repeat that word and give it back to the speaker so that the speaker can clarify the meaning of the word for you. You can say something like, you mentioned this word reconstruction. Could you please explain what that means? I'm afraid I don't know this word. Reconstruction. Practice identifying new information when you listen to anything in English. A big, big problem that I see is that people are not able to identify new information. I have a whole course on listening comprehension skills, which is titled, Learn to Hear Every Single Word in English. And there is a reason why it's called that way. Many people who have been learning the English language are used to the same type of listening comprehension exercises. They need to listen to a piece of audio in English, And they need to let their instructor, their teacher know what this piece of audio was about. They only practice communicating very rough um, ideas about what this text was about. What was it about? Oh, it was about a man who was in his house, who heard a noise outdoors, and he, uh, he went outside to check what was happening. Something like that. Or it was about the movement in New York in the, in the 1960s. That's it. Very basic, very rough. However, in business communication, it doesn't work. In business communication, we need to hear every single word to make sure that we understand the proposal correctly, to make sure that we understand the core idea and the set of values that are being communicating to us, communicated to us correctly. We want to make sure that we understand the attitude. We want to make sure that we do not just hear the words, but we hear what these words mean. We want to make sure that we hear and understand and can relate to the intention of the speaker, which means we understand what their intonations and their tone of voice mean as well. 
And you can't do that if you cannot hear and understand every single word. But it all starts with being able to hear every single word. Do not expect from yourself to be able to understand every single word and the entire message if you haven't heard every single word in the first place. A very simple exercise that you can do anytime and with any YouTube video or with any podcast is this. If you want to experiment, you can pause this podcast right after you hear the instruction and go check it out for yourself. Go to YouTube and play any video. Make sure that the captions are off. You want to be immersed in the sound. Listen to what a person said for five seconds. Any person, any video, it doesn't really matter. Just make sure that you listen to a video where native speakers talk. Five seconds. Press pause and repeat what a person said exactly word by word. Can you do that? Most people can't. Most people will tell you what they think they heard. Most people will give you the interpretation of what they think they heard. Most people will give you the basic understanding, the basic outline, the basic idea of they think of what they think they understood. But they will not give you what they heard word by word. There's only one way to check yourself. There's only one way to make sure that you really hear every single word. It is that you repeat the message exactly as you heard it. So step number one is we want to hear every single word. And step number two is we want to learn to make sense of the words that we heard. When people give themselves a job to listen to native speakers and to immediately understand what they said, they want to go from one to three. Well, actually, from 1 to 10, and they want to skip all the steps in between. Step 1 is to listen. Step 2 is to hear, which means, or which requires the skill of being able to identify new and familiar information. Maybe you heard it, but it doesn't mean you understand it. Think about business meetings. Maybe you have been to those business meetings where you are listening to native speakers who are explaining their reasoning, who are presenting their strategy for the next year and you go like i understand the words they're saying but i can't make sense of the words they're saying i don't really understand the strategy itself i don't understand their thought process even though i know the words or maybe you were given this feedback when you present information in the english language when you demo a product when you present the proposal that your company is ready to make. The feedback that you receive from English-speaking clients is that um, we can hear your words. We understand your words. We don't understand what you mean. Trust me, that happens a lot in (laughs) international business communication. People think they're making themselves clear. However, they're not helping their communication partner understand what it is that they mean. So let's go back to this. Step number one, listen. Step number two, hear. Which means you want to teach yourself to learn to identify new and familiar information. And step number three is if you hear something that doesn't make sense to you, if you hear something that 
the information that you do not know, you need to give it back to the speaker. So step number three is checking understanding. If you don't know the word, repeat it the way you remember it. That was this word that starts, starts with an F or starts with an R, robust something. That's fine too. That works in a conversation. Give it back to the speaker. Check understanding. When you skip this step, what happens is that you might receive a completely different message from the message that was intended to be sent. Let me give you another example of what happens very often. Maybe you've been in those situations too. Maybe you can relate to them. You're in the middle of a situation where you have to communicate with a lot of native speakers or maybe just even one native speaker and you listen to their monologue. They're explaining something to you. It's not just one or two sentences that they say. However, even one or two sentences sometimes can be difficult to understand, but you'll listen to their presentation, let's say. And you realize at the moment of listening to that presentation that you do not understand every single word, that there are words that you do not know, that you you experience some kind of stuckness because while you're thinking about that word that you think you should know and the word that you 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 heard another person say just yesterday but now you don't remember what it means while you're thinking about that word your conversation partner keeps talking and you are not able to catch up anymore so at by the end of their speech you find yourself not knowing what it was really about. However, you probably don't really show it with your body language or with your facial expression. You keep nodding professionally and very politely as they talk. However, all these thoughts are just exploding in your brain and you don't really know if you really got the message. Well, actually, you do know that you didn't get it. Most people in this situation, I don't know why, feel obliged to give a response, even though they didn't understand what was happening. But because we are in a meeting that we scheduled ourselves, and we know the agenda of the meeting, and we're in the context of the situation, and we're both professionals, and we're both talking about the project that we both know, people feel that they should be able to understand everything that's communicated to them. (laughs) People feel that they must absolutely must be able to understand, otherwise they're not competent. What people tend to do in these situations, instead of checking understanding and asking for help, they tend to remember all the words that they heard, all the words that they know, all the words that they understand, all the words that they remember, and they try to combine them together and make sense of them. Of course, they will put these words together in their own way. They will build sentences that make sense to them. They will add meaning to those words and expressions that they heard so that it's in alignment with how they think. And it's no longer the process of understanding. Because understanding means, I hear you, I understand you. And people feel understood when you you can repeat back to them what you understood which in 99% of the cases means you can repeat exactly what they said in the language that they use. And then they they understand and they feel that you were really listening and that you really care to understand them. What happens instead is people never complete the process of understanding. They stop at interpretation. 
they start listening, they fail to hear what is being said in the English language, they do not check understanding, and they're left with a bunch of words that they heard and a bunch of words that they didn't hear. And because they don't feel confident enough to check understanding, they glue these words together, which means they create their own interpretation of what they heard which is often drastically different from what was said. I hope that by now you can understand what I meant at the beginning of the episode. It's impossible to listen and to immediately understand because we cannot avoid all the other processes in between. It can happen very quickly, and if you're very good at all those steps in between, you listen and you immediately reply because you understand the question or you understand what you need to reply and what you need to say in that situation. When you're very good at something, when you're truly competent, it often looks like you do things effortlessly. You do things so fast, so quickly, so easily, and so effortlessly, right? But in fact, You've mastered those steps and those skills, and that's why it's not taking you so long anymore. But you still do all the steps in between. And when you arrive at understanding, truly, really understanding what a person meant to say, you will feel it. Because that's the biggest gift you can give to anybody in communication. Everybody wants to feel understood. And when you truly understand, people will feel it. And you will feel completely different vibrations. It, it's impossible to put in words. It's impossible to explain. There is no textbook on it. There is no theory about it. But you will feel it. And every person on planet Earth has been in those situations where he or she felt like he or she was absolutely understood. And it's such a great feeling. There are many more steps that I haven't mentioned yet. All of them precede the moment of understanding a person who speaks a foreign language. And when I say understanding, I don't mean understanding the words that they say. For many people, understanding something in a foreign language means translating the words that they heard in English into their equivalent in their first language. No, that's not what I mean by understanding. We want to understand the intention. We want to understand the attitude. We want to understand the meaning. We want to understand the context. And we want to understand the personality. And of course, we want to understand the words. But all these elements together help us understand what this communication is about and what we're actually listening to. It all starts with learning to hear every single word because you can only make sense of a big picture when you can see every little detail. Think about a puzzle. You need to put together all the puzzle pieces. Even if one puzzle piece is missing, the picture is not complete. And it's kind of annoying to look at a picture with a hole in the middle or somewhere at the edge, right? It is annoying because it's incomplete. It's also a great exercise to practice listening and hearing every single word because you are practicing awareness. You are learning to be aware of every word that you say yourself. 
you're learning to be attentive to all the details in your communication. You're learning to be attentive to nuances, to changes of tone, to changes of grammar, to changes in how people phrase their sentences and why they do so. I'm not saying that all the listening comprehension exercises that you find in textbooks are bad exercises. I'm just saying that they're not enough. They're absolutely not enough for anybody who wants to, let's say, run an international project. For anyone who wants to write a research paper in English. For anybody who wants to enter a university in an English-speaking country. Or for anybody who wants to build intimate relationships with a native speaker of English. When I say intimate relationship, I don't necessarily mean a romantic relationship, but conversations can get very intimate and very deep with all kinds of people. I have friends like that, and I value our friendship and our conversations a lot because we're able to do that together in English. When you listen to somebody speak English and you quickly grab the words that you know and understand and you try to put them together in the way that you think is correct, what you're doing is you're showing that you're not listening. You're doing something that's quite selfish. You are not listening. Because you act as if you want to understand only what you want to understand. You communicate this way that you have certain expectations and your communication partner needs to meet your expectations. They only need to say what you expect to hear. I have been in such situations a lot, especially in business meetings, when a person will not understand the question, but they will act as if they understand. And then they will start answering the wrong question. And then the conversation goes in a completely different direction, which is just wrong. And the person who was misunderstood needs to wait <laughs> for the right moment to steer the conversation back to where it's supposed to go. It takes a lot of time and it also takes a lot of energy. And it's very frustrating when you think you understand, but in fact you don't. You think you understand everything that they say, but they don't agree with you for some reason. And they keep coming up with arguments and objections and, and, and ask weird questions and you don't understand what the problem is. Most likely the problem is that you're not listening to them. Since we talk about strategies for non-native speakers to understand native speakers, there are a few elements we need to be aware of so that you can complete all the necessary steps that precede understanding. The rhythm of English is different from the rhythm of any other language. It is different from the Russian language, which is my first language. Even though there are many similarities between Russian and English, they are both stressed time languages. Yet there are many elements in English that are self-explanatory and obvious to English native speakers, and they're absolutely alien to non-native speakers. I have identified for myself a number of elements that I want to pay attention to and that I think I need to learn how to listen to if I want to understand what people mean to say. Here they are. It is stress, diction, flow, emphasis, melody, thought chunking, pitch, intonation, and tone. They matter because they add meaning. 
to what people say. And when we can listen to those elements and understand them, we understand the meaning of what is being said to us. You know, the courses that I teach, and primarily the course Learn to Hear Every Single Word in English, they do not promise accent reduction. And I do not focus on helping people acquire a certain accent, because I believe they can do it on their own, and I don't want to impose any accent on them. I'm happy to share free, a lot of free materials on how to acquire a certain accent, and how to improve your pronunciation, but I don't feel like it's right for me, who is not a native speaker, to teach somebody how to acquire American accent, let's say. I absolutely cannot teach British accent because I don't speak I don't speak it. <laughs> and it's just wrong for me to teach somebody how to do, let's say, an American accent if I can help people to learn directly from the source. And to me, the source is all the native speakers of English who speak English from birth. Even if we take the United States, there are so many different accents across the United States. Yes, there is standard North American pronunciation. However, the Midwestern accent, the Texan accent, the New York accent, the California accent, and the Californian uptalk, there are so many different ways of how people speak. And I just think it's not my job to tell people how they should sound. However, I want to help people learn to hear and understand everybody. Any accent, be it Irish, American, Scottish, British, Australian, New Zealand, any accent. Because this is possible. It is possible for me, and I know exactly how to teach that. So all the elements that I've mentioned before, stress, diction, flow, emphasis, they are important for any type of English accent. They exist in all accents. That's why it's so important that we learn to hear them. And it is actually true that if you have problems with understanding native speakers, most likely you have pronunciation problems too. If it's difficult for you to pronounce certain words, most likely you will not hear those exact words when native speakers say them. So the best way to learn those elements is to learn to apply them. When you learn to stress words correctly yourself, when you learn to say words with proper enunciation, when you learn to put emphasis on the right words in your sentences, then it becomes so much easier for you to hear emphasis, stress, melody, chunks, and pitch when native speakers talk to you. And as you improve your listening skills, you will dramatically improve your pronunciation skills. If up until this point, you have only done the listening comprehension exercises where you need to listen to a piece of audio and fill in the gaps to answer a few questions or make sure that you heard the facts correctly, then you haven't really done any deep work. Because if you really want to improve your listening comprehension skills, the number one exercise that you need to be doing is reading in English out loud. Try to read a paragraph out loud. It can be a paragraph in a book, in a blog post, in an article. You will see that if you try to read every single word separately, it will not make any sense, even to you. 
You might also notice that as you read it out loud, you can't focus on what it means. You're so focused on reading every word correctly that you need to read it one more time silently to yourself so that you can understand what this paragraph was even about. You will notice that you experience some sort of stuckness because you you want to read every single word correctly. You care about pronouncing every single word correctly. However, the meaning of the paragraph is slipping away. You can't really catch it. And you might also notice that it's not so easy to let other people hear what the paragraph is about. They might hear the words that you say, that you read. But do they hear what these words mean? Do they hear what this paragraph is about? So in order to do that, you need to master rhythm, stress, diction, flow, and all the other elements I spoke about earlier. And if you can't do this when you read, no wonder you can't hear it when you listen. These two processes mirror one another. In order to learn to hear the meaning, you need to learn to produce the meaning. And I'm not talking about spontaneous conversations where you're supposed to do a podcast like I'm doing right now, that you're supposed to produce some great, profound meaning when you talk. No, I'm talking about reading. Reading is simple because you don't need to think about the words you need to say. All you need to do is you need to read the words you see. They're in front of you. They're available. You can read and reread them as often as you need to before you're ready to read them out loud. And yet, even though people have the time and have the words and they don't have to think about the words, many people fail to produce meaning when they read the words. But when they read silently to themselves, they can be mesmerized by how beautiful this paragraph is. They can get goosebumps because they feel and understand the meaning. But our job is to learn to help other people hear it when we talk. When you learn to do that, it will be so much easier for you to hear how native speakers do it. Let me give you a brief overview of each, and I'm sure you will understand it without any complicated terms. And I'll give you an example for each term. Let's start with stress. Stress is simple. Every word in English has syllables. And one syllable will be always stressed more than all the other syllables. Let's take the word glorious. Glorious. Listen to that. Glorious. One more time. Glorious. Glorious. You can hear that the first syllable, glorious, is longer, right? It stands out. This is what stress is. Let's take another word. Surprise. Surprise. Listen to the length, how long the stress syllable is. Surprise. Surprise. In order to be understood by native speakers and in order to understand native speakers, practice spending more time on the stressed syllable. The mistake that many non-native speakers make is that they don't spend enough time here. They will say something like surprise instead of surprise. Surprise. Listen to how long this is. They will say something like glorious instead of glorious. 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 This is tip number one. We uh, have word stress, what I'm showing to you right now. Glorious, surprise, 
job. And we have sentence stress. Sentence stress uh, is when we stress not just one syllable, but we decide which word in a sentence needs to be stressed more than the other words. It is closely connected to the concept of chunking because a, a thought chunk is a meaningful piece of information. It's a group of words that communicate one thought or one idea. Thought chunking means you need to be able to divide a sentence into thought groups. And you can clearly see where one thought or one idea ends and where another idea begins. When one chunk is over, we pause. Listen to what I just said. When one chunk is over, I pause because I'm about to introduce the next chunk, the next thought group, and the next thought group is just two words. We pause. Listen again. When one chunk is over, we pause. I hope you could hear that. There was a pause in between two thought groups. Let me give you a very vivid example uh, that explains why thought chunking is important and why pausing is important. And when you understand how powerful your pauses can be, you can become a much more confident speaker and communicator. Once we were reading a book uh, with students by Haruki Murakami, the title of the book is Men Without Women. And one of the first sentences in the first chapters goes like this. Generally speaking, women are better drivers than men. And I put the sentence in front of students without any punctuation marks. And one person read it this way. Generally speaking, women are better drivers than men. <laughs> so the sentence suddenly meant something completely different. Speaking women are better drivers. But it's not about speaking women. Speaking doesn't belong to women. Speaking belongs to generally. The first word combination is generally speaking. Generally speaking, women are better drivers than men. We have two thought groups. Generally speaking, pause. Women are better drivers than men. Pause. We end the sentence. Now, inside every chunk or any thought, every thought group, there are words that are more important than other words. By default, we always stress all nouns, all verbs, all adjectives, all negatives, all question words like what, who, when, and all numbers. Let's take this sentence as an example. It doesn't matter how long the interview will take. First, I want to divide it into thought groups. It doesn't matter, one thought group, how long the interview will take another thought group, so I will pause once in between. Now, in every thought group, there are words that are more important than others. By default, they're important by default because this is how the rhythm of English works. It doesn't matter. Doesn't is a negative, so I want to stress the negative. Matter is a verb, so I want to stress the verb. I will not stress it. So, it doesn't matter. You see, you can clearly hear the words doesn't matter. It is a bit reduced. It's shorter. It doesn't matter. You almost don't hear it. I don't say it doesn't matter. I don't even uh, care about pronouncing the word it fully. <laughs> I just say doesn't. The first syllable that is stressed doesn't. It doesn't matter. Now the next thought group. How long the interview will take. Uh, how long is uh, can be a question word even though this is not a question. 
but it's important here how long how long right we want to um, say that it doesn't matter how long it will take we will wait probably how long so i want to stress long how long have you been in town even if i ask a question like this i will not stress how long i will just stress the word long how long how long have you been here how long have you been here so long interview because it's a noun take because it's a verb the will these are function words that help us build a sentence they help us make sure that the grammar is correct so we do not stress them we only stress content words doesn't matter long interview takes even if you remove all the grammar words you still kind of understand what the sentence is about so when we stress content words or important words we're coming back to the concept of sentence stress we make sure that these words are a little louder and the stressed syllables are longer remember what i showed you earlier surprise this the stressed syllable the stressed vowel is longer so what you need to do once you have identified important words inside every chunk is you need to make sure that these words sound longer many people just want to make them louder but louder is not enough longer every stressed syllable in english especially in american english is longer louder and higher in pitch and we're going to talk about pitch a bit later but for now practice making them sound longer it doesn't matter how long the interview will take or if i put a little bit more emphasis on the word long i can say it doesn't matter pause how long the interview will take interview take interview not interview not interview but interview will take it doesn't matter how long the interview will take it doesn't matter how long the interview will take we will wait it doesn't matter how long the interview will take we'll wait i hope you hear the difference when i said we'll wait my pitch was higher it doesn't matter doesn't matter my pitch was higher here too so what is pitch and american english is primarily influenced by the change of pitch pitch is is a simple concept is how high or how low your voice gets um pitch doesn't change the meaning of a word because there are languages where a change of pitch means that it's a completely different word let's say chinese or korean or vietnamese but in english we can say yeah or we can say yeah it's still a yes i can say the word phone higher pitch or i can say the word phone lower pitch but it's still a phone <laughs> we're still talking about the same object the meaning doesn't change the lexical meaning doesn't change when i say that every stress syllable is higher in pitch it doesn't mean that you go to extreme highs and extreme lows <laughs> variation is very important for confident and beautiful articulate speech but i want to encourage you to start listening to native speakers and be more attentive to the pitch there is a very standard pitch pattern in 
in English, especially in American English, which is two, 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 three, one, where one is the baseline. How do you understand the baseline? Try to speak in a very, very monotonous way. This is how I always talk, and this is very monotonous. This is me. You see, there is no pitch variation. Monotonous. Baseline. This is your baseline. You can go a little bit below your baseline, which for me would sound like this. I can speak, you see, lower. That's kind of not very usual for me. But I can do this sometimes if it's needed in a conversation. And I can also go higher than my baseline. So this variation, when you go a little bit, sometimes below, sometimes higher, sometimes a little bit higher, and the, and the higher you can go, <laughs> the more variation there can be in your speech. So this pattern, two, 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 three, one, means one is the baseline, two is a little bit higher, and three is a little bit higher. Let's take the word door. Door. This is one, baseline. Door. This is two, slightly higher. Door. This is three, slightly higher. I can do four. Door. Door. <laughs> I can play around with that. It's easier for female voices to show this rise in pitch. So two, three, one means or sounds like this. I like it. I get it. You think so? I'll take it. You see, we start in two. I'll take it. And then at the end of the utterance, we go down. I like it. I'll take it. We'll go there. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Thanks for asking. 2231. Why do you think Americans have problems with uh, Russian names? We have a name that is Alexei. But most Americans will say Alexei because it follows this standard and very common pitch pattern. 231. Alexei. Alexei. It follows the same pitch pattern. It's just easier for Americans to listen to those patterns because this is what they understand. And of course, when they speak, it's easier for them to produce them as well. If you want to learn more about pitch and pitch patterns in American English, go to YouTube and look for videos, pitch and intonation or pitch in American English. You will find a lot of useful stuff. We also have diction, or sometimes we call it enunciation, which means we have to be more attentive and more thoughtful with our mouth work. How do we move our mouth? In order to produce English sounds, I personally need to open my mouth a little bit more, sometimes a lot more. I need to drop my jaw a little bit lower to be able to produce the English vowels because the English vowels are very different from the Russian vowels. The consonants are different as well, but vowels are very important for us here because every stressed syllable contains a vowel. And if we don't say the vowel right, people will most likely not understand us. If you say cat instead of cat, because look, a black cat... You see how long these words are. Practice producing the right sounds.
A great exercise to improve your diction is to work with tongue twisters. Find the tongue twisters that you like. Again, you can go to YouTube and just type English tongue twisters and you can practice together with native speakers. Find the tongue twisters that you like, repeat them and focus on being distinct. Do not try too hard to say them fast because our goal here is to be distinct first. And when you learn to be distinct, then you can practice speed and you can go faster. But first, make sure that the words you're saying are clear and they sound correct. And when you talk to people every day, pay attention to how you say your words. Do not mumble. If you simply start speaking with an intention, oh, I want to make sure I do not mumble. I want to say my words clearly. Your diction will immediately improve dramatically. And if you don't know if you mumble at all, if you speak clearly or you don't, record yourself and listen back to what you said. Try sending voice messages to people and listen back to your own voice messages. That's easy and you don't need to do anything special. Just listen back to your own voice message. Another element I mentioned earlier was melody. And melody is difficult to explain. I really want you to listen to that. Let me show you an example. British melody and American melody are slightly different. We have five types of sentences and you can hear the difference in melody when you listen to how native speakers say these five types of sentences. Statements, questions, negative sentences, right? Listen to the pattern, listen to the beat, because it's a musical pattern, and see if you can hear it. I'm going to have you listen now to Amy Walker, who, who is amazing. She's probably one of the best in the world, and she is showing to you how to do an American accent. You can go to YouTube and compare it to the melody of the British English. Do you want some? And that, do you remember the Jew? Do, do you want some? Do you want some? Would you like some? It's a little bit more formal. So if you're going for a more formal, would you like some? Would you like some? Would you like some? Do you want some? Do you want to come with me? Do you want to come with me? Da 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 da. Do you want to come with me? That's up to speed. Do you want to come with me? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Da 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 da. We'll get a little bit more into the stress and rhythm later, but I want you to notice that if you if I emphasize the you there, it changes the melody as well as the stress. Melody when I emphasize it, it wasn't just that I gave it more energy. I also gave it more pitch or a higher pitch. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I wouldn't really say that, but which one? Which one? This video is titled How to Do an American Accent, Part 3, The Melody, Amy Walker. So you can find this video on YouTube and listen to the full thing. She's showing to you that if you don't listen to the words, but you listen to the melody instead, you can hear certain musical patterns, da-da-da-da, right? 
what do you think? And you will hear that some tones are higher, and we spoke about pitch, right, before, that is higher here. What do you think? The word you is absolutely higher in pitch here. That's why we hear this melody. When you learn to pay attention to melody, you will start noticing that people ask questions and people make statements differently in American English and in British English and especially in Australian English. If you want to be understood, you want to follow that pattern. You want to learn to reproduce that melody. And of course, you want to learn to hear that melody when other people talk. What is intonation? Intonation doesn't really have a precise definition, but according to Cambridge, intonation refers to the melody that every language manifests in speech. So during our speech, the voice goes up and down, which we know is the pitch, and these different notes of the voice make up the tone patterns or intonation of a language. And I've seen definitions where tone means pitch variations that affect the meaning. We also call it the lexical tone. So intonation can convey grammatical information or personal attitude. Grammatical information means we can emphasize different words. Just like uh, Emma demonstrated a few minutes ago, what do you think? We mean, what do you think, right? <laughs> or what do you think? The senses sound differently and we perceive them differently too. Let's look at another example. It's raining, isn't it? I'm not really asking a question, even though if I write the sentence down, there's going to be a question mark. And according to all the rules, we must read it as if it's a question. But I'm not asking a question. I'm telling the listener that it's raining. So my intonation has a telling melody. However, if I'm really surprised about the weather outside my window and I want to ask a question, I'm going to ask a question. It's raining, isn't it? You see how much higher up I went. And now I'm asking the person, it's raining, isn't it? My speech has an asking melody and my pitch is different. I do sound as if I'm asking a question because I am. That's intonation. When I say that tone means pitch variations that affect the meaning, we can say the same sentence and we can be rude, we can be sweet, we can be arrogant, we can be childish, we can be playful. The same sentence can sound very different. And this is how we feel the tone. And if you learn to hear the tone, you will always hear the attitude. You will hear the intention. When you don't feel the tone and when you don't understand what it means and how to convey it, what happens is that you want to be nice, but people see you as rude. You want to be nice and you want to make some small talk, but people feel like you're invading their privacy, that you're intruding. You just want to ask when the documents are going to be ready and you ask your colleague who is aware of the deadlines. However, your colleagues complain that we have an attitude. Maybe you've been in those situations yourself. Maybe you've heard stories. But this is tone. 
and it takes a lot of practice to understand and to learn to hear intonations and tone and emphasis. Emphasis is simple. You've just heard me do that. What do you think? What do you think? Right? You has emphasis. Sometimes people call it prominence. Sometimes you will see the term logical stress. They all mean the same. You decide which word in a sentence has more emphasis. And just to give you a tip, usually the last word in a thought group has a lot of emphasis. It carries the main meaning. That's why it's stressed more and it sounds longer, louder, and it's more intense because it has the emphasis. It's the emphatic word. For example, does it really matter whether people speak with an accent as long as they can be easily understood? Look at how loud and how intense the last word of every thought group is. Does it really matter? Matter. I say it with more emphasis. Then comes the next thought group. Whether people speak with an accent, accent, you see how much louder and longer and more intense that is. Then I pause again, because that's the end of the second thought group. And then I finish my sentence with the last thought group, as long as they can be easily understood. Understood. My pitch goes up because I'm asking a question, which is actually a rhetorical question. It sounds like I know the answer, and my answer is it doesn't really matter whether people speak with an accent, as long as they can be easily understood. We can easily transform this sentence into a statement. But if I want to ask a question, which doesn't really require an answer, you can hear my attitude and you can hear my tone and you can hear which words have emphasis. And this happens so naturally when you understand what you want to convey. You don't really think about it. Oh, which word has more emphasis? This is why reading is such a fantastic exercise. When you see the words, when you see sentences, when you see stories, and when you can bring those stories to life with your voice, you have to do all this work. You have to do this work all very fast because when you read, you have to read it in a way that people hear the meaning. So emphasis, thought chunking, stress, melody, pitch, uh, intonation, tone. You have to make all these decisions very fast and it takes practice. And when you read on a regular basis, when you read out loud, not silently, on a regular basis, this happens, this comes to you, but you've got to practice. One more time. Does it really matter whether people speak with an accent as long as they can be easily understood? The last chunk, the last thought group here, is pretty long, as long as they can be easily understood. You see, we have eight words here. However, I didn't pause in between those words. I only paused before the chunk and after the, the chunk, the thought group. The mistake that many non-native speakers make is that they pause in between the thought groups, which separates the words that belong together. For example, if I pause, as long as they uh, can be easily uh, understood, that sounds so different from as long as they can be easily understood. You see, I say all the words together until I hit the important word, the emphatic word, and I say it louder with more stress, with more emphasis. And flow is exactly about connecting words. 
when you have the flow, your speech sounds like music. It flows. <laughs> it can be easily achieved by connecting the words inside one thought group and pausing only after one thought group ends. So make sure you don't pause in the wrong places. You can also go to YouTube and look for videos on connected speech to understand the rules of connected speech because there are quite a few rules that work <laughs> all the time and if you understand the rules it's so much easier to follow them you will not be guessing anymore you will know exactly what's happening let me read a paragraph for you that i have in front of my eyes right now a paragraph on intonation and see if you can hear and feel the flow and see if you can understand the meaning of what i'm going to read it is difficult to arrive at a precise definition of the word intonation. However, in simple words, it refers to the melody that every language manifests in speech. During speech, the voice goes up and down, known as the pitch, and these different notes of the voice make up the tone patterns or intonation of a language. In some languages, if you pronounce the same sequence of syllables, that is the same word in different tones, it changes the meaning of the word. For instance, in Mandarin Chinese, the word ma, said in different tones, changes the meaning of the word. If said with a level tone, ma means mother, with a rising tone, it means horse, and with a falling tone, it means scold. Such languages are called tone languages. However, in many languages, the tone doesn't belong to an individual word, but to a word group. Such languages are called intonation languages, and English is one of them. If we say yes in any tone in English, it will still mean yes. Tones nonetheless play an important role in English. They give the listener an idea about the speaker's emotions and intentions. Intonation can reveal the speaker's interest, anger, anxiety, surprise, when we add such elements to our speech, we are using intonation. How is that? Could you follow me? Could you hear the meaning of that paragraph about intonation? You can let me know in the comments. And if you want to practice with the same paragraph, I'm going to add it in the comment section. So you can read the same paragraph and see if you can apply what <laughs> we have just learned. If you can practice applying stress pitch melody emphasis flow diction pauses and intonation so i think that's going to be it for this episode of the podcast i just wanted to show you how important it is to consider those elements and to learn to understand them before you hurry to understand the meaning of what people tell you in English or the meaning of what you hear in the English language. Most people want to skip all the steps between listening to something and understanding something because they hurry to translate the words. They hurry to understand the words. But if we want to understand more than just the words, we need to listen to the pauses. We need to listen to the tone. We need to listen to the melody. We need to listen to the emphasis. We need to listen to many, many things. And we need to be aware 
of what we're hearing so that we can make sense of it. And if, we, if we're not sure that we heard things correctly or that we heard things at all, it's totally fine to pause and to check your understanding, to ask for help. What is that word that you said? I'm afraid I, I, I lost it or I'm afraid I don't know this word. I have a few videos on my YouTube channel about the importance of reading out loud. And if you follow me on SoundCloud, I have a whole playlist which is titled Natalia Reads Out Loud. This is how I practice myself. And I'm inviting everybody to practice with me. You can find the text that I'm reading in the description box under the under each track. So you can read those texts with me and we can compare the way we read them. I try to choose paragraphs and pages that resonate with me, that I like a lot, that are beautiful, that make my heart sing. <laughs> so I hope you're going to like them as well. But seriously, reading out loud is one of the best and one of the most effective exercises to really grasp the concepts of stress, diction, flow, emphasis, melody, thought, chunk, and pitch, intonation, tone. And this is the best possible exercise for anyone who wants to deliver compelling messages in English, for anyone who wants to become a more articulate speaker, and for anybody who wants to learn to hear every single word that native speakers mean, not only say. If you want to practice with me, consider joining the chorus Learn to Hear Every Single Word in English. You will be joining not just a chorus, but also a huge resource library with tons of materials to practice. And you'll be also invited to join a community of practice where you can see how I do those exercises myself. We will do them together. And there are always new challenges for community members. We learn to articulate our thoughts. We learn to speak with more emphasis. We learn to be understood. We learn to understand people. So if you want to be part of that, let me know. We will be thrilled to welcome you. Thank you for being with me. And thank you for listening to the podcast. I will see you in the next episodes.